Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gator Alton Church. My name's Tim, and I'm glad you could be here uh, this morning. I guess uh, most of the smartphones work today. I, uh, I, I went to bed with my, my smartphone. Uh, with the time not changed, I thought, well, it'll be smart enough to wake me up, and it, and it was. So glad you could be here. Give yourselves a pat on the back. You made it. You made that, uh, got that hour figured out, huh? It's good to be together this morning, and I'm glad you could be here. If it's your first time here, we're especially grateful that you would come and, and be with us uh, this morning. There's a, you've got a bulletin inside the bulletin, and a couple of things I want to point out. One is a, a set of notes, and we follow along. You can follow along and fill in blanks. Uh, we don't have PowerPoint this morning, but uh, I'll, I'll try to help you with, or you can just copy off of somebody. I mean, it's okay to copy here. And uh, also, uh, not only is our notes to go along with the lesson, there is a communication card inside. We'd like for you to uh, also uh, fill out if you can. And, it, it, and you can put your name and address and things like that. And you're going to notice uh, for members, it's got like a what discipling zone are you in. And, and you can check that box. It helps us sort those cards. Um. But also, there's a place for prayer requests and comments. And if there's a decision you're making today or if there's something you'd like to pray about for people to pray about, we have people that do nothing but pray over those cards. And I don't, we don't put them in a pile and, and to put our hand on them. We actually have a team of people who get so many cards apiece and they, they read them and talk to the Lord about what's on that card. They don't talk to anybody else about what's on those cards. That's uh, no one else's business. But they, but they do bring that business to, to the Lord. And I think that's kind of cool. So take advantage of that today. We'd love for you to do that. Um, there, tonight we're having our Hawaiian luau, I guess, or Hawaiian. Yeah, it's our church banquet. And we and we're encourage you to dress uh, something Hawaiian. I'm wearing the wildest shirt I have. I've been waiting for this. And I, I love this shirt. It scares people away. <laughs> I've, I've worn it in places and it scared people away. But uh, it's... So we're going to be uh, uh, enjoying the tropics tonight, okay? We're going to be looking at fruit. I will tell you, if you're not planning on coming, you really need to reconsider because the Weilers have something planned, okay? So we want to make sure you know about that, okay? <laughs> who knows Who knows what that could, what could be when the Weilers are involved, okay? I've got a card here from Don and Robert and Marissa, and they just want to uh, express some gratitude. Uh, over the passing of John's death. It's, it, this is what it says. Words aren't enough to express our gratitude to our church family as you all have supported us through this time, uh, this loss of John. The church's love shows up greatly in difficult times. Thank you for your prayers, thoughts, and support and love as we learn to adjust to a different life. Thanks for loving John. That was from Robert and Don and Marissa. And we had that memorial service here and, and uh, Robert did a marvelous job of honoring his father. I was really impressed by that. Uh, it, it's reminding me of a couple things probably the church ought to know about. Uh, we understand that Janet Bader is in the hospital this morning, may have had a light heart attack. And so she is right now uh, at uh, Alt Memorial, I believe, yes. And there are some people already on their way uh, to help them uh, just find out what's going on. And Doris Weaver this morning had a heart attack uh, this early this morning, and she's at the Anderson uh, hospital as well, and so be be thinking about them and um, and let's pray for them right now. All right, Holy God, um, they're just uh, part of life. The thing about life is that is death, and Lord, and then we find out about uh, people who experience something serious as heart attacks and illness. And Lord, um, these are totally out of our control. 
So, Father, we come before your throne. We come before you just to to tell you that we, we love these two families, Father. We love these two people very much. We love Janet and we love Doris. Lord, um, we know your will will be done. We pray, Father, you'll, you will really not just uh, be close by, Father, but make yourself aware to both Doris and Janet how much you care and how close you are to them. And Father, we pray you'll supply, supply confidence and reassurance with uh, Bob and, and with Gary and Selena. And we just, Father, we pray that you'll uh, bless both these families this morning. And I uh, know they're in, in capable hands. Um, would you give uh, the doctors and nurses a little more, a little more talent today than they normally have? And um, Father, we pray all is well in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, we're we're in a, we're in a series called uh, Seeking Roots and Raising Fruit. We've been looking at the the fruit of the spirit. And if you have a Bible and you'd like to turn to Galatians 5, you can. And we're going to be looking at, looking at this passage. This is our theme verse uh, that we've been using uh, every week as we talk about uh, raising fruit, sinking roots and raising fruit in our lives. Galatians 5 says this, But when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, He'll produce this kind of fruit in us. Notice He says, When God is in control, when we let God be the Lord of our life, when we let Jesus rule in our lives, when we let the Holy Spirit rule in our lives, then God's able to produce these things inside us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Here there is no conflict with the law. Now in this series we've been learning a lot of things about bearing fruit and and Steve Craig, Craig was here last week and and he talked about bearing fruit as well in this series. We asked him to kind of go along in this series with us. And, and um, what, what, what I wanted to do is just quickly review a few things that we've learned in this series. For example, one of the things we've learned in this series is, is that my roots, your roots, determine our fruit. That roots are they're underground, they're hidden. They're, you know, they're the things that nobody sees. You know, you're really who you are when no one's looking. And so it's your thoughts the things uh, there's times when Denise and I will be talking and maybe getting into some arguing and I'll say what do you think and she goes I don't think I'm going to tell you well I want to know no I'm going to keep them in the vault and 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 you know we have thoughts and desires and things that people really don't see they really don't see these things uh, until they come out in our actions and and here we find that that the fruit is determined by the things that we do when no one is looking. So your core motives are so important. If your core motive is to honor God, is to please God, then you're going to find God producing fruit in your life. Another thing that I think we've learned in this series is that spiritual fruit is developing the character of God. When you read these, when you read all about these these things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and, and, and goodness, and all these all of these uh, things that are listed, it seems like it's nine fruits, but it's not nine fruits. It's describing one, and it's describing the character of God. So, so it's talking about the love of God. You know, the Bible says God is love. He's not saying, I want to produce, Tim, your love. You know, he's not wanting to produce your love. Uh, if that were the case, we're all in trouble, huh? Because our love has limits. And he says, I, I, I want to produce my love. God says, I want to produce my love in you. The, the joy. What about joy? The joy of the Lord is your strength. There's joy. God has joy. He doesn't want to produce more joy than you have. You know, your joy, but His joy. 
And, and, and God is patient, not letting anyone perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You know, the Bible, you, you find all of these traits. These, this is the character of God. And so, so, as it, so God is wanting to develop these things in you and I. You know, a lot of times we get the idea, Christianity is, is, there's a lot of people making assumptions that Christianity is about not doing things. You know, don't spit, don't chew, don't go out with women that do. You know, you know what I'm saying? Well, that's why I go to church to learn not what not to do. And we think, well, if I don't do something, well, that's against my religion. Like that's some badge of honor or something. Well, God isn't wanting you just to not do some things. Of course, there are some things he doesn't want us to do. They're bad for us. But he wants us to replace them with something good, something much better. You see that? So the, the Christian life isn't just about saying no all the time. No, I won't do that. No, I won't do that. But yes to the Lord. And yes, I will do that. Yes, I'll incorporate that in my life. And that's how, that's how God develops His character in us. He wants us to develop His character, His values in our lives. That's His fruit. See? And the third thing I notice is, is that fruit comes from a tree of the same kind. What do you mean, Tim? Like apples from an apple tree, cherry from a, cherries from a cherry tree, you know, peach from a peach tree. Yeah, yeah, kind of like that. Uh, it, that that well, Jesus said it this way in Matthew seven. He said, "You don't find you don't pick grapes among thorn bushes." I mean, do you? No. Do you pick figs among thistles? And the answer is, of course not. You're not going to find grapes on thorns. You're not on a thorn bush. You're not going to find figs on a thistle bush. And, and, and why? Because they don't produce grapes. They don't produce figs. And, you know, you're not going... He's saying here that, that you, you don't produce fruit just because you're in the garden with everybody else. You know, when, I, when I was a kid, we had a garden. And if there was a thorn bush in the garden, it didn't all of a sudden start taking on the characteristics of what it was planted next to. Well, I'm planted next to the sweet corn. So it starts producing corn. It doesn't work that way. You see, and, and, and it did, when it was next to the peas, if a thorn bush grew next to the peas, it still was a thorn bush. You wouldn't find peas on the thorn bush. You see, so, so the thing that, I, that, that Jesus is talking about here is, is that, that your life, that the life he's making for you, produces the fruit of its kind, spiritual fruit of its kind. So you can tell what kind of tree you are, what kind of Christian you are. That's, that's, that's a poor way to say that because there's only one kind of Christian when you stop and think about it. He's saying, he's saying here he's going to produce these characteristics in you and you can know if you are in good shape or in bad shape by simply looking at the fruit. Also, I notice he, said, he goes on to say a tree that is bad bears bad fruit. A tree that is good bears good fruit. By the way, I don't, did you notice that even a bad tree bears fruit? So it's not necessarily, will I bear fruit? You will. Through life, as you grow and mature, you're going to develop a certain kind of character, certain kind of values, with certain kinds of choices. The question is, what will they be? Will they be of God? Or will it be something you've made up on your own? Kind of winged it through life. And so that's what I notice about this. And, and today what I want to talk about is God's goodness and how we can be rooted or how can God produce his goodness in us. Now, the word good, before we start here, is, is very confusing to a lot of people. We, use this, we throw this word around like, like love. 
You know, sometimes love can get confusing. What is love? I love, you know, I love you. I love pizza. Uh, really? I'm on the same level as pizza? What's that really mean? And good's the same way. We, use, we throw good around like, good morning, good evening, uh, have a good day. Uh, uh, are we good? Now, what are we saying when we say these things? That was good. Last, last night, a bunch of fellows and Susie went to watch The Great Escape. We went to watch The Great Escape. Fifty years ago, this movie was made. Not a cuss word in it. I love that. And exciting music was Elmer Bernstein. Incredible music. Was it good, Tim? I had my soda. You know, I, I, I don't drink soda on a regular basis, only on special occasions. And this was special. Had me some popcorn. Don Yoder had some butter. And popcorn. I'm telling it was that much butter in the bottom of his bucket. I went, Don, shame on you. So, but uh, he gave it to my kids. But anyway, <laughs> we're watching the, the Great Escape. Somebody said, did you have a good time? It was a good time. What do I mean? What do we mean when we say the word good? Or when we say, you know, somebody uh, will say, that's a good person. Well, what do we mean good? Do we mean polite? Nice? That's, a lot of times that's what we mean, don't we? They're a nice person. They're, they're good. They're compliant. They cooperate. They're good. I've had people say to me, Tim, you know, you're the preacher, so you need to be good today because we're paying you to be good. Well, I don't get paid. I'm good for nothing. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That didn't come out right. I am good for nothing. Good for free, yeah. But you think about that. You know, it's, it, what do we mean when we say this word "good"? It's thrown around a lot. Now, the New Testament, where this passage in Galatians is, is written in Koine Greek, and the Greek language was very precise and very and, and very clear, and so it didn't have a lot of double meanings. Okay, and so this word for "good" in this passage is the word "agathune." And agathsune means, well, it means something different than the way we use the word good. Now, I think on your notes, I've got good is not, good is not, and then I'll show you some things. So let's talk about that real quick. For example, this word, when you look at this word goodness, goodness is not about good feelings. I know a lot of people are in a good mood, but they're bad. You can still be in a good... You can, I know people in a good mood, but they're bad people. Just because you hit them on a good day, you hit a terrorist on a good day, doesn't make him a good person. Well, he was in a good mood. It's not his time to go. Good mood doesn't mean you're a good person. Uh, uh, goodness is not about doing good deeds. Think about it now. A lot of times, you know, uh, some people will do something good, but then you get to find it, you find out they're bad people, but they do good things. Does that make them good? No, they're just doing something good. Doesn't make them good necessarily. They can still be a bad person. So what's goodness when we look at this word agathsune? What does this word mean when it says goodness? God's going to produce His goodness. Well, He's not talking about His politeness and His niceness. Now, I do think, I do think we should be polite and good. You know, in that sense, polite and nice to people. But, you know, God is good. We say that. We sing that song. God is good all the time. You know, we, 
right? And and so what is it when we when God says He's good or He has His goodness, is God always nice? I don't think so. There's times He's not very nice. Is He polite? I mean, when Jesus ran the money changed out of the temple, He say, "Excuse me, would you step this way and and gently whip them?" Come on, you can move. Watch out. Don't fall. There we go. Don't forget your, your trinkets. Yeah, you want to get those. There you go. Get out of here. Thank you. No, it wasn't like that at all. <laughs> he's laying into him, And yet he's good. God is good. How can you be good and not polite? Well, goodness isn't about being polite. It's not about being nice. No, goodness is about integrity. That's the first blank there. Goodness is about integrity. See, goodness is that inner compass in my character. And by the way, this word, this word we're looking at this, this for goodness, it's an intense desire, not a passive desire, but an intense desire to be moral, upright, decent, pure. God is moral, upright, decent. And pure. Would you agree with that? And so when we say the goodness of God, we're talking about the integrity, the character of God, but the integrity of God, His righteousness. And that's what goodness is about also. It's about righteousness. And that's why sometimes when you look at look in a, a different translation of the Bible, especially in Proverbs, you'll find a good man does this, and then another translation will say a righteous man will do this. The words are used interchangeably because even in the Hebrew, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, you have you have the word good, meaning some of the times translating to mean righteous, right, upright, moral. You know when God when God made the earth and He made light and darkness. You remember in, the, in, the, in Genesis one, the first time the word good is used, it says He says and it was good. Well, what did He mean? It's good. It's so polite. It's so nice. No, he's not saying that. Well, what is? What's so? What do you mean by good? It's complete. It's right. It's holy. It's in order with its creator. You know, when God, and each day, every time he would do something, he made the moon and the stars. See, day one, day one, God made light when there was none, and it was good. Day two, day two, God made the sky a blue. It was good. Day three, day three, God made flowers, plants, and trees, and it was good. Day four, day four, God made sun and moon and stars galore, and it was good. Day five, day five, God made animals and fish alive, and it was good. And day six, He made man and looked at everything, and the Bible says it was very good. He said, after He made you, after He made me, he steps back and goes, perfect, upright, moral, together, solid, decent. Something happened. Something happened, didn't it? I love the video. Something happened. Here God made this world. He made everything so well and, and, and so decent and so upright and so moral and so much like it reflected the character of the Creator. And then something happens. 
the other, uh, the other night while I was preparing this lesson, I'm walking in my house. I look up at the stars on the back deck as I'm walking in, and I see Orion's belt, and it hits me. He made the stars, the sun, the moon, and they're still decent, moral, upright. They haven't changed a bit. The plants... The crocus are coming up right now. The daffodils are coming up to say spring is about here. The, the, the buckeye, the bud is just swelling. You can barely see a little green right now. And what do the plants tell me? What do they tell me? They tell me, they tell me that spring's about to come and they haven't changed. They're still upright, in order, decent, moral, in line with God. You see where we're going, church? I look. Animals. I have deer that come in my backyard. The red bird, the robin, and all the birds are coming back. The geese. Have you saw the snow geese flying north and all the geese going north? And I marvel at that. How do they know how to do that? Nobody has taught them to do this. They still, in order, upright. They know what to do at the right time. It's in them. And that's been going on since the first snow goose was made. Still there. But what about people? What about us? Are we moral, decent, upright, holy? Something's happened, hasn't it? Sin came into the world and messed it all up. And think about this. All of the other things around us are still doing what they were made to do. Except you and I. And God is spending all His energy doing what? Trying to restore you to the goodness that He created you to be. That's what the cross is about. Restoring what's been out of order. To bring order and decency and morality back to where it rightfully belongs. So God could say, Now this is very good. That's what He wants to do with you. I'm, I'm so encouraged by that. I marvel at that idea that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, would come to this earth, die on a cross, and He's been working with all of His energy to restore in me what God created in man to begin with. And He wants to do the same to you. You may be a mess. You may have messed up. You may, you may go, man, I don't even know what's right anymore. I don't know. I'm not really sure. Uh, moral? Not me. Upright? <laughs> Get out of here. And God wants to help you with that. And you, your goodness and my goodness can't do this. Only God's goodness can produce this. And He produces that when we begin to develop some things in our life. He, develop, he develops this goodness in me when three things occur, okay? Well, let's look at these. The first one, God can develop His goodness in me when I take a good look at myself. You say, oh, that's just a plow in words. Well, doesn't it start there, though? I know a lot of sermons we have, it always says, look at yourself, look at this, look at that. But it's true in this case, probably more true than ever, that if I want God's goodness to develop me, I've got to see the reality in me. I've got to see what, what condition I'm in. In 2 Corinthians 13.5, it says this. 
Test yourselves. This is the message paraphrase. Test yourselves to make sure you are solid in the faith. Give yourselves regular checkups. You need first-hand evidence, not mere hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. Test it out. If you fail the test, do something about it. What's he saying? Take an honest look at yourself. You need to be a fruit inspector. Learn to be a fruit inspector of your own fruit. Get a good look at it. Look down deep inside where no one else sees. Where no one, where, you know, guys, we put on shows at church. We put on shows but you know, toward our friends and stuff. But when, it, when the curtain goes down, then the real person shows up, right? Who we really are. And that's, that's really we, that's where we need to stop and sit back and go, you know what? I need to look at what, I, what am I really about? What are my core values? Why do I need to look like that inside like that, Tim? Because all of my actions and all of my habits come out of the thoughts I have. So it starts in the root system. It starts looking deep within. Luke 6 said it this way. This is the message again. Jesus said it this way. It's on your notes. You don't, you don't get wormy apples off a healthy tree, nor good apples off a diseased tree. The health of the apple tells the health of the tree. You must begin with your own life giving lives. Well, how, can I, how can I tell if fruit is good then? How can I tell? I tell you, a lot of people, when they, when they want to look at their lives, I tell you what a lot of times happens. I've done this myself. I want to compare myself with someone else. So what I'll do is I'll go, I'll say, well, I'm at least not as good, bad as that person. I'm not doing that. So I must be pretty good. That's like saying, you've got 15 worms in your apple, and I've got five in mine. I'm missing the whole point, see? That I've still got worms in my apple. I've still got bad fruit. I can always find somebody that I can find that will make me feel better. The problem is I also can find somebody that make me feel bad. So if this comparing thing doesn't work, it's not very accurate. So what do I do? Well, let's see. How do you find out if fruit is good? I've been to Schnucks and Shop and Save and all these. I've seen how people do it. Have you, you ever watched people? Maybe you've done this. You grab the melon, and what do you do? Is it our primal instincts? We shake it. <laughs> I don't know what that's doing. Now, listen, if you are doing that, if you're embarrassing yourself, okay, especially the, don't do that. But, you know, you shake it. Like it's going to say, pick me. I'm good. No. We thump it. Dun, 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 dun. What is that? I mean, we're playing a music. Like that's good. I know that maybe these are scientific things that have been proven to work. I, I, I've yet to see it work. Though. We thump it. And then I see people do this. They put it. They smell it. And then put it back. And I walk by going. How many of these others have been? Ah! <laughs> you know. Now you're going to go through the fruit section. I'm not touching it. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? We stop it. What's the best way to find out fruit is good? You cut it open, look inside, and you taste it. You cut it open and look. How many times have you bought stuff at the market? Thought it was good. Got it home. Cut it open. Now, you can't go wrong with bananas. They kind of tell you. 
watermelons and cantaloupe and some and apples. Oh, that looks like a good apple, and you bite into it, you know, and it's mushy. Said the worst thing is, you know, an apple with a worm. The worst thing is to bite into apple and seeing half a worm. Then you know there's a problem. You know, you see, you know, you've got to open it up. You've got to look at it. You've got to taste it. But, but to be honest, tasting it myself sometimes isn't going to work, is it? Because I may have, well, that's good enough. I'm one of those people of. You ever cook something and drop it on the floor? Five-second rule. Kind of dust it off, put it back in the frying pan. Tastes a little gritty. The the problem is if you're inspecting your own fruit, and you need to be a good fruit inspector, okay, sometimes you can be misled because of what you like and dislike. So what's the acid test? What's the real acid test? Can I tell you, I think the real acid test for this is to, well, it's your relationships. It's to cut it open and hand it to somebody else who's objective and let them tell you, well, let me taste it. It's got a little wang to it. And Denise and I, she'll, she'll say, this milk smells, she gets her nose right in there. It smells kind of funny. Would you check? And, and it's three feet away. I don't have to do that. It doesn't smell right. You know, it's getting some confirmation, getting some help there. And the greatest test is if you let someone else, you open it up in front of someone else and say, would you look at this? You just can't do that with anybody, folks. It needs to be somebody you can trust, somebody who knows the Lord. And let them, and especially, taste it. What do you think? I'm doing this. I've been doing this with you. Does it taste right? It starts, if, if, we, if we really want, it, why is that so important? Well, I think it's because when we, when we begin to inspect and look deeper, then we see the things that need to change. If you're just content with looking at the outside, you'll never get to the core of your issue. You've got to open it up. And look deep inside. You've got to ask yourself things like, "Well, this am I moral? Is this upright? Is this godly?" See, goodness and godliness go together because goodness is righteousness. And so, is it godly? Is it good? Is it upright? And sometimes you might have to ask somebody and cover those same questions. Here's the second thing I can do if I want if I want God to produce fruit in me and produce this fruit, his character, and especially his goodness, this moral, upright goodness in my life, is when I do things that are good for me. You may say, well, that's just a no-brainer. Do you do things that are good for you? I don't always do things that are good for me. I have to have people tell me, you need to eat more salad, more vegetables, Tim. You need you exercise. I'm saying that there's things like that physically. Well, same is true in a spiritual sense. I need to do things that are, that are good habits that will that are good for me. Would you guys agree that we're creatures of habit? Do you think God made us this way? Well, if He made us this way, habits must be important to Him. Well, they need to be important to you. You need to develop good habits if you want God to produce. His goodness in you. Now the problem is, 
we tend to have bad habits. Left alone, we tend to have bad habits. Things break down. Uh, for example, let me read a passage to you. This is, this is not in your notes. This is Psalms 14, 2 through 3. And this is the New Living Translation. The Lord looks down from heaven on the, earth, on, on, on the entire human race. He looks to see if there is even one with real understanding, one who seeks for God. But no, all have turned away from God. All have become corrupt. No one does good, not even one. You know what God's saying here? Nobody's good. Nobody can be good on their own. Apostle Paul in Romans 7 said, I know that nothing good lives in me. And he says, that is in my sinful nature. Why do I have such a hard time being holy and moral and upright and decent? It's because it's not in my nature. And maybe you're saying, you know, Tim, I have a hard time just being faithful sometimes to God. Or I have a hard time being consistent. What's wrong with me? Nothing's wrong with you. It's natural. It's your nature. But i got good news for you. God wants to change that nature. He wants to give you a new nature. A new way of life. A new way to think. A new habit. Well, how do I get started? How does that happen when I start to investigate habits that will be good for me? It says here in 1 Peter 3 on your notes in the Living Bible, if you want a happy, good life... Turn away from evil and do good. He says, if you want good in your life, and he's talking about uprightness and order, do good. Do good by, by basically turning from evil and doing these good things. So if you want God to develop your goodness in your life, you've got to replace these bad habits with good ones. In fact, Ephesians 4, what a passage. Look at what it says here. Throw off the old evil nature and, and form a way of life which is rotten through and through, full of lust and deception. Instead, there must be a spiritual renewal of your thoughts and attitudes. See how deep it is? See how the thought and attitudes, those are hidden. Those are roots. You must display a new nature because you are a new person created in God's likeness. And look how he, look how he describes God. This is goodness, righteousness, holy, and true. He's talking about you can be, have God's goodness in your life. You can, Im, you, can have, you can imitate God's goodness and have these attributes when you change your habits, when you start developing good ones. Okay, well, okay, Tim, well, what are some good habits? I want to give you three, just three here this morning. There's several, but here's three I believe are very good for us. The first one's the habit of worship. Now, I know I, when I talk about worship, I know some of you here have a much deeper understanding of worship than I do. And you would say, well, Tim, worship is everything we do. And that is true. But I, I, I want you to know that saying worship is everything we do kind of generalizes it so much that, well, what specifically can I do? And I want to talk about one specific thing and the whole list of ways we can worship God. And one of them is just praising God together on Sundays. It's having this worship together. That we worship in God's place. Look at it says here in Psalms 65, verse 4. Happy are those who choose, you choose, and invite to stay in your court. We are filled with good things in your house, in your holy temple. You know, I, uh, I want you to notice that being in the presence of God encourages goodness. It encourages His character. So it's good to come together together 
It's good to, to worship God. Now, I know you say, well, can, can I worship God anywhere? Yes, you can. But I just can't visualize you at Breadco breaking out in song. Uh, maybe you do. I, I've never seen it. I've never done it. Okay? They might throw you out. But there's a great... It's, it's good to be together, church, and to praise the Lord, to worship God, to sing songs. And by the way, some of you, I want to say, I just want to, I, I, I don't, I'm trying to put you on a guilt trip, but I want you to reconsider your position on singing. Here's your, the position on singing is this, you should. Well, I don't, I don't sing. I'm off key. Listen to me. You're never out of tune when you sing to the Lord. Never out of tune. I know what out of tune is like. Who you sit next to, Tim. I'm not talking about anybody in this room. I want to talk about Rusty James. Rusty James, I grew up in grade school. We were the same height, same weight. We could wear each other's clothing, you know. Sometimes we would trade shirts and just to, just to mess with our moms, you know. And, and I remember we would sit together on the bus. He was one of my best friends in grade school. And in chorus, Rusty James wanted to be in chorus too. Rusty loved singing, but he couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. In fact, he didn't even have a bucket. This guy was off. And, and he would sing so bad that when we would start singing, and we sounded really good as eighth graders, when he started singing, the whole chorus was thrown off. And I'll never forget it. First time I ever saw it happen, Mr. Holman, our chorus teacher, says, Rusty, yeah, Mr. Holman, you're going to have to leave. What? So I'm going, no, no, you can't make Rusty leave, although it would be better if he did. You can't do that. Well, I'm glad it's you doing it, Mr. Holman. He, he says, you're going to have to leave, Rusty, because you can't sing but I love singing. Well, we don't love it. <laughs> and he walks out. And a lot of times some of us here, we go, well, I can't sing very good, and so I'm not going to sing much. You know, I'm afraid to embarrass you know, the church or embarrass the person next to me or, 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 or throw them off. Those are great excuses, aren't they? But they're not in the Bible. And I want to encourage you. Why, why Tim? Why would you want us to sing together? Because there's something. One of the things that Rusty did for me, though I sang next to him like this, I, one of the things I enjoyed about Rusty was he had a passion for music. And one of the things, whether you sing on key or not, is not what concerns God. You say, well, Tim, I'm not even, you know, the Bible says make a joyful noise. I'm not even sure if I make a joyful noise at times. And, well, you're okay. Maybe you're making noise. But, but, it's, but I want you to know that hearing somebody else sing, whether you sing good or bad, is not the point. The point is, when you sing, you encourage somebody else. The Bible says we sing to one another encouraging one another, speaking to one another in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs. The songs that we're singing today, that, you know, we say, well, you know, I like some of these songs, but some of them I don't like. Well, I want you to know they're scriptures. They're scriptures. And, you know, and the Bible commands us to sing those things. Now, you're going to deal with this. Your Lord wants you to sing. But I want to tell you how good it is to worship and sing and praise God and pray together. That these things are encouraging things. They encourage us. It encourages me when, I, when I'm praying with somebody. We were at John's memorial service. And, um, and as, as we're getting ready to begin, Donna Yoder uh, is walking in. Uh, I'm sorry, Donna Wright, Frank. I'm sorry about that. And Frank is here. His wife is what she has. She's been, she's been fighting cancer. She's about to go into to surgery. And I'm talking with Donna. And I, my mind is on the memorial service. And then I look over, and there's Stephanie Tankersley and Mike Kiffmeyer holding hands with Donna, and they're praying with her. Oh, man, I was encouraged by that. 
there's something about praying together and singing together and worshiping together, laughing, of course, together, enjoying being together in the presence of God. It's good to be in the presence of God. And, and you know, guys, when, when we'll participate and when we, when, we, when we get involved, goodness begins to form. God's character begins to form in you. And let me encourage you to worship the Lord. I had a guy the other day, you know, years ago, he said, you know, Tim, I've been coming to this church for uh, six weeks, and I go away uplifted. And I'm like, that's awesome. No, no, that can't be awesome, Tim. We should be going, leaving miserable. What? Yeah, you should be beating us up. And, you know, that's where I go to churches where hellfire and, you know, beat us. And I, I, by the way, I can make people feel guilty, and, 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 but I want you to know I'm not interested in making you feel guilty this morning. I, didn't, I, I don't think you came here to get more guilt. You already got enough. Okay? And it's not to get guilt. You come here to get guilt. I would encourage you to leave your guilt here. Decide some things before you leave here. To deal with the sin in your life. To deal with those things. And leave the guilt here. I can make you feel guilty even by accident. But I'm not interested in that. I don't think God's interested in just making you feel guilty. And that, oh good, I did my job. You'll be miserable for another week. But I want you to know when you're in the presence of God, the encouragement to be faithful and pure and moral when you're with Christians. We were at the funeral home of John's visitation in Gary Spurgeon. Just had quadruple bypass. If you all know Gary, Gary's a little uh, hyper. He's excited. He loves the Lord. And 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 we're sitting there, and he and he comes and sits with me. He goes, Hey Tim. I go, What? And he sees Jeff and Sonia. Son, he goes, I'm so glad they came back. I go, Yeah. Why are we whispering? <laughs> he goes, I don't know. Right on. <laughs> I said, why don't you tell them? Why don't you tell them they're standing right there? Tell them you're glad they're back. You know, it was just so encouraging, Gary. You encouraged me. And you say, well, is that worship? Yeah, when we get together, we're encouraging each other. And by that, it produces a healthy environment for God's character to grow. And so let me encourage you to get in the habit of worshiping God. Yeah, there's all kinds of ways you can worship God. But when you come here, come here to to give to each other encouragement and create an environment that just just creates tremendous growth in God's character. Another habit is the habit of reading God's Word. I'm, I want you to know, I'm very excited that people are sharing their faith at Greater Alton. I'm glad you're sharing your faith. Some of you are in studies, and that's wonderful. But can I tell you what excites me more? I've learned to be excited more about I'm excited about that, and I'll never, I'll never quit being excited about that. But I'm excited more about feeding faith, seeing faith get fed. And it's, it seems like that, you know, you can, you, people, I know people that can teach and share their faith, but they are not changing. But when you feed your faith, when you, when you do the things that, that, that nurture your faith... God's character begins to display itself in your life. Um, let me read a passage that's down in your notes. 
This is um, Psalms 26. And if you ever want to read a great passage that talks about God's goodness, Psalms 26 will do that. He says, For I am constantly aware of your unfailing love, and I have lived according to your truth. David says, I, I, I come before you with integrity. Again, with, good, with your goodness, with your integrity. How is that possible? Well, one of the things he does is he's in, he says, I, I've, I've learned to regard your truth. It says in Psalms 119, How could a young man keep his life pure? Another word for goodness is purity. How can a young man, a young person, keep his life pure? He can do it by holding on to your word. I wholeheartedly search for you. Do not let me wander away from your commandments. I have treasured your promise in my heart so that I may not sin against you. I started reading my daily Bible four years ago, almost four years ago. And I learned two things, church. The first thing I learned was I do not know the Bible. That's the first thing I learned. The second thing I learned was what an incredible, encouraging book. What an incredible source of encouragement. And every day I look forward to seeing what is God going to teach me. Even when I read stuff like, and God numbered the people. 14,000 people were this. 12,000 people did this. 10,000 people were here. 50,000 people were here. I'm going, ah! Numbers is like, count this, count that, count this. And I'm like, what could I possibly get out of this passage? And then I realize God counts everybody. Hey, I count. I'm not just a name. I am a number. But when God numbers you, it matters. Bring on the number, Lord. I want to be counted, man. And it's so encouraging to know that He counts everybody. Nobody gets left out. You follow the Lord, He will not forget you. He will remember you. You matter. And guys, I just want to say, if you're not producing fruit, if God is, if you're not producing change in God's character in your life, it's got something to do with the lack of, of the Word of God. And so let me encourage you. Let me challenge you. Let me plead with you. Get in your Bible. Start doing it every day. I was one of those people that never got my Bible every day. I'd hit and miss. Or I'd go maybe a week. Or then I'd miss. Or I'd try for a couple of months. And then if I missed, I'd quit going, what's the point? I missed a day. And... Finally, I went, you know what? I'm sick of this. I'm going to make this habit if it kills me. And guess what? It didn't kill me. It actually gave me life. It'll give you life too. Here's a third habit, and that's a habit of good, of good friendships. The habit of good friendships. Do you have a good team of people around you? I mean a good team. Listen to what David says in Psalms, 20, in Psalms 26. Not in your notes, but he's talking about being a man of integrity, of purity, morality, decency, uprightness. He says these words, I do not spend time with liars or go around with hypocrites. One of the things David realized was, you know what? I'm not going to spend a lot of time with liars and I'm, and I'm not going to go around with hypocrites. Why? why? Why not? Well, Tim, Jesus said, do you find grapes among thorn bushes? And what's the answer? No. Do you find figs among thistles? No. So why would I spend focused time with people that aren't good for me? Well, I'm trying to reach out to them. Well, are you? Are you reaching out to them? Or are you just shooting bull? you just spending time with them, hanging out. David said, I will not spend time with liars 
or hang around hypocrites. He said, I don't have time for that. I only got so much time in my life. I'm going to place myself around people that can help me. Do you have a team of people? Now, you know, Stephen Gregg said something this weekend, I think it, and I think it's true, but I know some of us here, we like to take statements and run with them like a bass on a lure. He made a statement that God makes things grow, that you don't make things grow. Remember that? Some of you here this weekend, he said, only God makes things grow. And I know some of us here, we take statements like this, that's right, and I don't need anybody to help me. Hold on, hold on. I don't need anybody to help me. You just took that point, and you're independent and proud of it. Well, Stephen Gregg wasn't meaning that people aren't included. He was simply saying God's the one that makes things grow. That you and I don't make it grow. That it doesn't depend on us to make it grow. It just depends on us to help. Now, let me show you this passage here. It's in 2 Corinthians 3. But whoever, but uh, it says here, my job, this is Apostle Paul talking, my job was to plant the seed in your hearts. And Apollos watered it. But it was God, not we, who made it grow. The ones who do the planting and the watering aren't important. We stop right there. See, they're not important. I don't need you. You're not important. The Bible says so. I think, I think maybe you're going a little too far with that point. What do you mean? Well, let's read on. The one who's planting and watering aren't important, but God's important because He's the one who makes the seed grow. Now, my question is this. Is he saying, is, is Paul saying people aren't important or is he saying they don't make it grow? I think he's saying they don't make things grow. That they plant and water. And he's saying, here's what I'm trying to tell you. This church was really hooked on people. They were about following people. If you've checked 1 Corinthians 1, he says, there's division among you. Some of you are saying, I follow Paul. Some of you are saying, I follow Apollos. Some of you are saying, I follow Peter. And some of you, well, you're just sarcastic. Well, I follow Jesus. You know, so you're in four. This church is, it's, it's got a, it's a personality-driven church. They're following people rather than Christ. What are you talking about, Tim? I'm saying, when you guys say to me, Tim, I sure hope nothing happens to you, because if something happens to you, this church is in trouble. You think you're complimenting me? You're not. I'm not impressed by it. Because you're not to follow people. You see, God is important. Apollos and Paul, compared to God, are not important. But they're essential. People are essential. And I want to ask you this. Think about this. Do you think that God can make something grow without people? I want you to think good, long, and hard about this one. Think about that for a minute. Can God make someone grow without people? I don't think so. What makes you think that, Tim? What about Moses? He was by himself. Really? Really? Was he by himself? What about his brother Aaron and his sister Miriam? What about Jethro? Not the one on the clampets, but Jethro, who gave him all that advice. Well, Jesus was by himself. 
Really? Was he? I thought he had 12 guys around him. Well, he was teaching them. But didn't he rely on them sometimes? I'm going to go pray over here. I'm overcome by sorrow. Would you stay awake? Why? Why do we need to stay awake? Kind of watch out for me. Might pass out or something. I might get to be around. No, God uses people, but we don't follow people. You hear me? We're not here to follow people. But we need people. Everybody had somebody to help them grow. And notice it says here in your notes, the one who plants and the one who waters work as a team with the same purpose. Yet they're rewarded individually according to their own hard work. We work together as partners who belong to God, who are God's field. You are God's field. God's building, not ours. I want you to see something because we work as a team. That's why I'm asking, do you have a team, a good team around you? Do you have the A team around you? Are they good, solid people? Or are you just hanging out with liars and hypocrites and thinking they're going to help you? They're not going to help you. They're not going to help you grow. You need godly people and righteous people. Not perfect people. We can't be perfect. Of course not. But people who honor and follow the Lord. You have that around you? Some of us here, I wonder sometimes, you get in trouble, don't you, when you separate yourself from that 18? We need people. We need each other. God makes it grow, but He uses people. So develop good relationships in your life. David said this in Psalm 16. It's not in your notes, but it's in the Bible. It says, I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. Without You, I have nothing good. David says, Without You, Lord, I cannot have goodness. You see, you and I can't be good. Again, left to ourselves, we screw it up. I read a story about Leonardo da Vinci. He was painting the Last Supper at Milan. He was painting... The Disciples and the Last Supper. It's a famous painting. It took him nine years to paint this painting. Did you know that? Nine years. And as he's painting it, he's thinking, I'm going to start with Jesus and then work my way out. And he's thinking, who am I going to... i got to have a model. i got to have somebody. So he finds somebody. He finds, uh, he finds this young 19-year-old man. And, he's, and, and he goes, perfect face, not a mark on him. He will serve as a perfect model for the face of Christ. So he has him sit and he paints and he gets the face of Christ. Then he picks faces from the community that he thinks would best typify John and Thomas and all these others. But then he leaves Judas for last. And the years have passed. And he says, okay, Judas, what am I going to use for Judas? I can't just use any face because this is the face of a betrayer. This is the face of someone who's not following the Lord, you know. And, Oh, man, I got... And so one of his assistants suggested, why don't we go to the jails and prisons and maybe we can find a face there. And finally, one of his assistants says, I found such a face where it's in Rome. So they travel to Rome, to the Roman prison, and inside this cell, there's this man and he looks like he is just... He's a mess. He's scheduled to die the next day. So Leonardo da Vinci... Uh, or, yeah, he, he goes and he says, hey... Um, he talks to the prison guard. I'd like to have this guy as a model. I'm painting a painting in Milan. Could I borrow him? Well, he's scheduled to die tomorrow. We can't just get, hand him over to you. 
He goes, well, who do I talk to? And he worked his way up the ladder and found somebody that could, could give the okay. He takes the prison prisoner with, with, with escort, and he sets him down, gets him in Milan, and he begins to paint the face of Jesus. It takes him several days. I think about three months. He's painting. He gets it finally where he wants it. And he goes, okay, finally the day, I'm done. And the guards come and take the man, and they, and they escort him out the, out the room. And just as he gets to the door, the man breaks over and goes, turns to Leonardo da Vinci and says, Don't you know who I am? Don't, don't you recognize my face? And he goes, No, nah, I'm good with faces. I don't remember your face. Surely you remember me. No, I don't. Don't you know who I am? I'm the man you used for the face of Jesus. In nine years, nine years, this guy had destroyed his life. Left on your own, left on my own. We're not very good at being good. Would you agree? We mess up. We hurt ourselves. We hurt other people. And David says, Lord, I can't be good only when I make you my Lord. Only when you're my Lord can I be good. It says these words as we close. I want to encourage you with these words. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord... Then the veil is taken away. What are you talking about the veil? Moses wore a veil in the Old Testament. He'd go in to the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, and he'd get before the Lord, and when he would come out, his face would be glowing, kind of like a glow stick, or like a, a glow toy. You put near a light, and then you turn the lights out, and it's going. But what happens to the toy? It starts fading, doesn't it? And you have to turn the light back on. And Moses, he says, his face, his face would fade, and, and people were discouraged by seeing that. And so he would put a veil to cover. That's one reason. He'd put a veil to cover up the fading of his face. Not so he wouldn't discourage, so he wouldn't discourage people. And so Paul says, whenever you turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, He gives freedom. And look at this. And all of us have had that veil removed. He's talking to the Christian, to the one who's turned to the Lord. If you haven't turned to the Lord, this promise is not for you. But if you turn to the Lord, this promise is for you. And all of us who have had that veil removed so that we can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Him and reflect His glory even more. When I turn to the Lord, when I develop a good relationship with God, then God's able to bring out His character in me, bring out His love, His joy, His peace, His kindness, His righteousness, uprightness, decency, morality. Is He your Lord this morning? Is Jesus truly your Lord? Have you made Him the Lord? Because you can't be good without Him. And if, you're, if you say, Tim, I, I haven't been good. I've, I'm a mess. He can take that mess and He can change you. He can clean you up. And He, he, can, he can give you a life so rich, so good, so good when you make Him Lord. You've got a card in your bulletin, and the card is there for you to take time to fill out. We're going to sing a song while you fill out that card, if you haven't filled it out already.
And then we're going to sing another song and take up that card as well as the, our regular contribution. We want you to know if you're a guest here, you're under no obligation to give. We did not uh, bring you, you know, here or invite you here to get something from you. We're not after your wallet. We're actually here. We want to give you something. We hope you've received something this morning.